everybody and welcome to the Airport Wild Podcast. Today we're going to be sitting down with Jared Marley of Margo Supplies, where we talk about everything from some proprietary pyros, including the launchers, uh, all the way to even discussing a little bit about some bear-proof uh, electric fencing for your campsite. So these guys carry a lot of cool, really cool supplies. Make sure to give them a check out. And uh, yeah, just relax, check out the episode, and hopefully you guys can learn to bring your wildlife management to a higher level. Jared, um, yeah, if you could just uh, maybe introduce yourself, what do you do, who do you work for, uh, and let's get this show rolling. Sure. Yeah, so my name's Jared Marley. I work for Margo Supplies. I'm the business director here. I guess my job primarily is getting products, wildlife technology, to uh, all sorts of number of clients all over the world, uh, among them uh, airports, a big part of that. We... Uh, we supply pyrotechnics, propane cannons, visual scare products, really, you name it, whips even, all sorts of stuff, really, all the basic tools and some more of the complex ones to uh, manage wildlife in an airport environment. Nice. I like that terminology, um, wildlife technology. Uh, that's you don't, you don't hear that one very often. But, uh, yeah, so let's go right into it. So you mentioned, like, you know, kind of get the overview. Um one thing I did know, so I don't know if you mentioned or not, was it caught me off guard? Was you guys actually sell bear fencing, like for backpackers? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we uh, bear, we bear, bears and birds is basically what we do. Uh, we work a lot with large carnivores, mostly bears, cougars, though, wolves, uh, and some of the smaller canids too. Uh, it's a big part of our company, always has been. I won't say we invented electric bear fencing. But we certainly popularized it across, uh, across North America. So we did our first electric bear fence about 35 years ago in partnership with the Honey Cooperative. It's been a big part of our company and uh, really interesting work. Uh, we do all sorts of cool stuff. Right now we're going up close to the Yukon uh, border in Canada, building a, a bear fence around a provincial park area that's been the scene of conflicts for years and years. There's been several human fatalities uh quite a while ago now but it's always been a hot zone so it's a little outside of airport big uh business people don't always know about it but that's uh, another side of our company and actually yeah you mentioned technology one of our new projects is uh we're building uh wildlife tracking devices so wildlife tracking collars uh we've got yeah we've got uh test units on elk in jackson hole we've got some deer We've got a couple of units going out to Africa coming up anytime soon and uh, looking to get into test units to wild boar in France. So Very we call cool. it so for, technology. That's so what for folks that don't know the, the, the collars, so are you are you running off of VHF or all GPS or what kind of collars are you putting out? Yeah, that's kind of a common misconception. There's two components. There's your inbound signal and your outbound transmission. So Everything inbound to get your location is GPS. Uh, GPS is actually free. Anyone can access it. Uh, we call it GPS, but there's a couple other countries that have a system as well. When you talk about VHF, that's basically how you get it out. Uh, so we're using Iridium satellite connection. So we get the GPS signal in. We can do that up to one, uh, one uh, fix per hour. 
And then every eight hours, we send that packet of data out to uh, our server, and then the client can access that anywhere in the world. VHF standalones are still used a little bit. They're used just to track the individual animal. It's really just for locating an animal when you want to find it. Most, even most VHF units now, though, will have a GPS receiver on it because it's it's not really a lot of weight at all to include that. Right, right. Especially with nowadays, you know, units are getting smaller and smaller. Um, that's actually one thing I didn't know you guys were, were doing. So that's that's pretty cool. It's a um, new project for us, and we're really excited about it. But yeah. Right. And so for folks at home, I mean, um, maybe they don't aren't familiar with this, as we're referring to the collars that you put on wildlife for tracking, and then you have the big, you know, you got somebody out there with a Yagi, either a handheld or on a car mount and actually doing the you know listening for the the telltale beeps and getting a location and you can well you don't go right to it you know you triangulate to get right yeah. on the animal um but that's still still i think a lot of folks have probably only ever seen that on like discovery channel or or uh like nat geo or something so that's pretty cool um so right. so going back to i guess we probably this is more of an airport related podcast probably should run yes. more towards there but so you guys are running pyros um, so, I mean, most of the, the, well, I guess we'll call them generics, like the bangers and screamer varieties or. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people are going to be really familiar with three rounds in particular. Uh, technical term is the 15 millimeter platform. They're the small cardboard shells. Uh, they're fired with a blank out of what looks to a lot of people like a starter pistol. The banger and screamer have been the historical rounds of choice than the most commonly available. And then on the 12 gauge platform, people will be most familiar with the uh, Shellcracker product. Now we got a few extra products on that. Uh, we still, of course, sell the bangers and screamers. I think though we're at nine different pyrotechnic cartridges we currently carry. Uh, and in the last couple of years, we've been really focusing on visual effects as opposed to just those audible uh, cartridges. So can you, can you delve more into what you mean by the visuals? Yeah, so uh, the bangers and screamers, of course, there's a little bit of smoke trail you'll see out of a banger. And if you fire a screamer kind of in low lighting, you'll see maybe some sparks trail behind of it. And I think a lot of uh, your listeners will be familiar with that. So in addition to that, we've got uh, our screamers with Silver Comet. So that'll produce a fairly audible spark trail behind the screamer. Uh, we have a few colored rounds. We really focus on green, uh, any kind of green effect. And the reason is, is that one, anecdotally, it's been extremely effective. And two, green really shows up in pretty much any lighting condition. Uh, our newest round is the Comet Banger round. And so what the Comet Banger is, it travels about 90 feet and makes a big crackling effect uh, when it detonates. The cool thing about it is you can actually stack it on top of one of our screamer rounds and fire it from a pistol. So we're focused on visual multi-stage. Uh, the reason for visual too, just for some background, it's not really a surprise. Birds are primarily visual creatures. Historically, everyone's been all about that audible sound, but you know, birds flying around, it's really their eyesight they're relying on. Uh, with the visual effects, it's allowed us to get some really impressive results, especially with a wide variety of raptors, uh, tried a lot on eagles in Alaska and Washington state. Uh, Gulls, especially in really hard conditions like landfills, we're seeing great results with the Comet Banger combo. And uh, uh, turkey vultures, we're seeing good results out of that. So yeah, we're, we're all steam ahead on visual effects. Not to say you don't include the audios, uh, but yeah, add visual effects, 
Birds are visual based and as many rounds as you can. For us, it's all about variety, trying to mix things up and prevent habituation. That's very cool. So these new ones, these like these silver comets, are these a product that you guys are making yourselves or are you importing them in or? Yeah, so we import in uh, from Germany, most of the 15 millimeter, millimeter European, right? Metric system. Yep. So those are all made in Germany. The 12 gauge are made uh, actually right next door to you in Prescott Valley as well. Uh, and uh, we're working very closely with them and we're playing around with all sorts of new uh, 12 gauge combinations as well. We have a 12 gauge screamer uh, up and running and a 12 gauge whistler and we've got more coming. So stay tuned on that. Very cool. So these 12 gauges, they're still, they're still based on the, um, the, uh, the older cracker shells that run off of black powder, right? So they're more more to be used in like a single shot versus like a, you know, a, a, a repeatable shotgun? Yeah, yeah. So the 12 gauge shell, it's a low velocity round. There is not enough power uh, load in there to cycle semi-autos. So whatever, whatever shotgun you're using, manual cycle. We really recommend the best shotgun you can use is a, a single or double barrel brake action. Yep, that's something we've always used is... Uh, like the old New Englands, you can't, you can, they're harder to find nowadays, but yeah, like the old New Englands, they were cheap, they were very reliable, and yeah, just had that one, you don't have to worry about gumming up the works with black powder. And Yeah, uh, I mean, it's technically not black powder, but, you know, it's pretty similar to it. Um, it's a, it's a slight, it's kind of an interesting powder combination. You really got to hit that fine line between good back pressure but it's got to hit kind of not too fast, not too slow. Uh, pyrotechnics are sensitive, so you really got to nail in that powder choice. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm just I'm on actually on your website right now, also looking through some other you know on the same uh, uh, the same list. I'll have your bangers and screamers, um, and I'm noticing you guys got some stuff that you don't often see on other websites that I've perused. Is you've got your range extenders, you've got your connector tubes. Uh, and you've got nine, well, 30, 380 or nine millimeter caps, uh, blanks. You know, everybody, yeah. I think, is, I think 90% of the folks that are out there are probably going to look, when they think about these caps, or think about, you know, the, 20, the 22 cal or six millimeter acorns. Um, and then you guys have some interesting launchers in here. Like, I'm looking at this Margo Thunderstick. Uh, I mean, honestly, it looks like something you see a kid putting in their mouth at the, at the mall or something, like one of them, what do they call them, a vape stick or something, but. But that's that's, uh, that's your actual launcher. Well, maybe it's showing my age because uh, you know I'm getting to the age where uh, vaping is a younger generation now. You maybe you too. I'm not sure. But no, I, yeah, I'm, I mean I just hit yeah I just hit thirty. But uh, I'm just talking about when I see the kids, all the kids. I'm yeah that came out way after I was already uh, growing up. Yeah, it's one of the privileges of being older is I never had to deal with that uh, as well. <laughs> Both of us are the same age. Yeah, going back to that, um, so you named a whole pile of different products. So go back to the pyro. Uh, yeah, the Comet Bangers, the Thundersticks, uh, or sorry, the Comet Bangers and the Range Extenders, those are our exclusive products. Uh, we're the only ones who carry them at all. Uh, we've gone and worked really closely with the manufacturer, getting it dialed into our specifications. Kind of went back to the Comet Banger. Uh, what's different about our screamers are, is they work as a booster. So all of our screamers, you can put another pyro on top of that for a multi-stage effect. Now, when you're firing them out of the pistol to get good flight, all you can do is a screamer and then a comet banger. So you get the normal range of screamer about 250 feet, then another 90 feet from the comet banger, and then that 
crackling starburst effect with the visual green starburst coming down. Next product is the range extender rocket. So the rocket, uh, it's similar to a bottle rocket. You can fire it out of some of the handheld launchers or you can fire it like a bottle rocket uh, with the fuse, they come with both. And it's just a rocket. The rocket itself travels about 750 feet, but you can stack any of the 15 millimeter pyros on it. And you can do up to three 15 millimeter pyros on top in sequence. So really you can take any of the combinations we have, uh, stack them on top, uh, I shouldn't say any, there's, a, there's some safety manuals we have in training for what, uh, what combinations work and what's safe and what's really effective. But the max range you'll get with a rocket with, uh, with three stages on it afterwards is about 1,250 feet. Which that's a long ways. That's, I mean, for most folks, I mean, you're used to bangers and screamers, you know, a long shot's 200 feet. So yeah, definitely. I mean, well, six times the distance. The reason for this is I'm sure you're probably familiar with this. You've probably seen them as the Kappa cartridges. Yep. You know, great product. Excellent. Uh, as I'm sure uh, to the uh, uh, bemoaning of your audience, uh, very difficult stock situation pretty much for the last many years. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's especially round. It's great, but it was expensive and really just when it was in stock, it was in stock. When it wasn't, it wasn't. So uh, we need something else. Uh, not to say we won't ever carry the Kappa, but that was our answer was the Thunderstick. So I was really trying to focus on getting range. A couple areas we really find it useful for is, of course, again, to yourself and uh, many people all across the South is, uh, is buzzards or uh, turkey vultures, the real name for them, flying on thermals. You just a banger, even a shell cracker. It's rough going trying to get range to them. Uh, waterfall resting on water that are beyond the normal range. And really, you know, when you get those kind of birds who know the drill, they know they recognize the truck, they know they're going to get some pyros fired at them, and they'll kind of lazily move on just a little bit beyond range. Yeah. That's when you throw in a range extender uh, with the whole uh, barrage effect and, and keep them moving. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. definitely, cause I, mean, I mean, as soon as you said that, the first two uh, gills that hit my head was raptors and corvids. I mean, those things, they they just don't care. Um, so having something that can kind of bring them back into range is, is definitely uh, definitely a very cool item. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've always had a soft spot for corvids, honestly. They're, they're so smart, and I like that. You know, I take a corvid over a European starling any day of the week, that's for sure, but that's my yeah. preference. No, and I'm I'm right there with you. Cause, I mean, uh, well, I mean, especially on the high winds. Like I grew up in New York State, you get some high winds coming off of the Lake Ontario, and uh, there was nothing better on a windy day when going out and watching the crows, you know, dipping and diving in the wind and doing their little acrobatics, and and they're just so smart. And 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 but that's also their downfall at the same time. Oh yeah, but they're trainable, you know. At least that's in a lot of instances. You on them, you keep an eye on the scout birds. You really kind of hit that aggression and combine some audible effects and, uh, and you know, you see good results, but anyway, that's, that's kind of the pyro stuff. A lot of new things happening there. Um, yeah. Launchers. You just want to quickly touch on that. Uh, yeah, we have a ton of different launchers. Uh, the reason is, is that no single tool is really going to solve every kind of uh, situation, even in an airport environment that you're going to come across. So a lot of people are familiar with the, uh, with the, we call them six millimeter again, try and differentiate that European uh, 15 millimeter scare cartridge. 
cartridge goes with that to the shell cracker, just our way of doing it. Uh, the six millimeter launcher, you're probably familiar with it, the RG46. Yep. Uh, that was the industrial launcher of choice. Unfortunately, uh, blank, surprisingly, blank guns are not primarily manufactured to be used at airports to control wildlife. <laughs> might come amazing, but it's a very niche market. And so uh, due to some changing safety regulations, there was an initial barrel blocker added to the RG46, which has reduced the range of the pyrotechnic to make it not suitable at all for, uh, for wildlife control uses. So we need to find another alternative. Uh, our answer to that was the Thunderstick. Uh, so this is something we've designed. We make it. Uh, it's a relatively new product for us. It's been out for about a year. We're constantly fine-tuning it. Couple ideas behind it is, as you said, it doesn't look like a pyro launcher. Uh, that can be useful, especially in groundside kind of stuff. You know, oh, yeah. yeah, I've heard all sorts of horror stories about uh, people walking around ground, uh, groundside and getting local law enforcement called on them, you know, hands, uh, you know, uh, hands over your head kind of thing. And uh, so it's really good for the non-gun. It's a softer public image. If you're working around a terminal or where people can see you, they don't get the, you know, a pyro launcher's a pistol. They just see some guy in an orange vest waving around a little black pistol looking thing. So again, softer public image. One of the big things about it that we really like is uh, pyro, uh, especially in the West fire season, it's so important to fire the pyrotechnics at an elevated angle, and it's really easy to forget that. There, yeah. Handguns and handgun-looking devices, they're meant to fire forward primarily. You know, you're not firing a handgun in the air. So your natural hand position is aiming straight ahead and firing. The, the uh, thunderstick, you grip it uh, like a tube. So your hand position already is naturally at about that 45-degree firing angle. We've actually got a gravity trigger on it too. So it will not fire if you're pointing it accidentally to the ground. Uh, oh, that is cool. Yeah, beyond that, it's just really easy to clean. The pyrotechnic combustion area is totally separate from the internal workings. So there's three parts, you just pop them all off, run a brush through, keep them clean pretty easily. So that's that's the Thunderstick. Um, so our answer, of course, we're always working on new devices. And again, there's always, a you know, every situation, there's always an ideal tool. Um, we also have those large caliber launchers you mentioned. Uh, the RG-59 is kind of the primary airport one. It's a revolver, for those that haven't seen it before, it uses a 380 blank. Couple situations where that's useful for is the 380 blank is, uh, it's loud. I mean, it's a it's a 38 cal bullet basically for gunpowder load, obviously it's a inert blank. Right. Uh, so if you're again working in a terminal area where you just can't use pyro, you're gonna get some audible effect with that blank. Uh, right there. The other really nice thing about it is you can put a five-shot adapter on top of that launch. So there's enough power in that blank to launch five pyro all at once. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's I was actually right as you were bringing it up. I actually have it. Um, I'm looking at this at this adapter, this five-shot adapter, and it looks like when I was a kid, it looks like a Nerf gun almost. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. And, but five pyros at once. That That'll get the job done. Aggressive hazing. You know, those are situations where, and you'll see this a lot where people use one pyro at a time, especially going back to they'll use just kind of the basic banger and screamer. The birds have seen it before. Yep. They see it, bird. You've seen it. You got some birds loafing around and screamer. 
okay, we'll move about 50 feet away. Get in your truck or walk another 50 feet, fire another one. They're going to yep. move 50 feet away. What we really want to do is we want to get that adrenaline spiking like mad. When they see you, it's, you know, it's business time. And so aggressive hazing with a quite a fast initial burst of pyro. One, you're going to get it moving a lot faster. And two, mostly you actually use less pyro. Uh, you know, again, you can fire 10 shots kind of one at a time, keep moving the bird around or, you know, go all guns with blazing, get five off right away, fall with a range extender rocket and they're gone. Yep. Yeah, that's it's definitely a, a, a very cool adapter. Very, I could definitely see a lot of uses like um, like I'm thinking like mass amounts of gulls. Uh, yeah. you know, cause they'll, especially when they get going and they, you know, they all get flying and, and calling you got that big cacophony of, of sound. And, you know, sometimes a, a single hazer or a single, you know, banger, a single screamer can get lost, but yeah, I can just imagine, you know, five pyros mixing and matched all together. That's, that's going to wake them up. Yeah. We, um, we, one time, just to give you an idea of this, I always look at landfills, not necessarily, you know, the exact same operations in an airport. But it's one of the toughest environments, especially on gulls. Uh, a friend that was of mine, the actual situation I was just thinking about is gulls on a landfill. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine told me, he said, you can run the math on an active face, your general gull species, you know, generic gull, a whole pile of different ones, so it varies a bit. About three minutes, they can get their daily calorie needs. Yep. So that's how do you fight that, right? That's, they don't have to work all day. Three minutes on that active face, they're done. Uh, so you'll never get the kind of aggression you get on a gull. So we, at a West Coast landfill in the wintertime, which is actually when they face a lot of gull pressure because they're lazy, really. Bad weather day. They don't want to be on the mudflats fishing. Go to the landfill and get their uh, fill there. We went to a landfill with no bird control at all. And uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Under 100 pyrotechnics, we kept the active face clear of birds for the entire day. For under 100 pyros. Yeah, yeah. And it was just about when we saw a gull, no tolerance. They did not get one bit of food reward. So on them, heavy on them, we used three tools to do that. We used uh, pyrotechnics. We used a radio-controlled scare cannon. And uh, we used one of my favorite, all-time favorite wildlife deterrents, uh, also the oldest wildlife deterrent in the world, a whip. So <laughs> I, I had one more I wanted to talk to you before we got into other stuff, but I really want to hear this more about the whip. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so the magic with any of our bird control products, uh, and I'll say, I'll go maybe this a little later, but I really class deterrence in two things. It's active or passive deterrence. Yeah. Active pyrotechnics, whips, a remotely activated scare can. It's really something you're deploying when you see a bird. Those are always going to be, of course, the most effective. Passive deterrence, they're more environmental. You're trying to make this landscape, uh, friend, another friend of mine calls it a landscape of fear. Uh, shout out to Pacific Northwest uh, Raptors there. And again, your use of active deterrent adds to that landscape, but it's about, you know, uh, visual deterrence sitting around, some cannons around. Again, passive deterrence, they're overall making it an unpleasant area. Active deterrence, so what you're, you know, they're your workhorses. So what we've always found is magic is a combination of audible and visual effects. Uh, whips do both. You've got that nice, huge, swinging motion of whips, and, man, birds react to it. 
And what's cool about a whip crack is when you get pretty good at it, uh, it takes a little bit of practice. You can project that sound where you want it to go. So kind of like a pyro, you can place a whip crack and project it where you're finding birds and you can use it to move them off in the direction you want them to go. Uh, that combined with the swing of the whip, they hate it. It's no, there's no mystery. We've been using whips for uh, essentially for past recorded human history to control wildlife. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, whether um, uh, wild or, or domestic, yeah, I know, like, whenever I think of whips, I'm always thinking, like, uh, well, uh, I was a big fan of Westerns, so I always go back to, like, um, like Australian ca cattle station kind of stuff, but, yep. <laughs> so, like, man and snowy, was it the man from Snowy River, is what that's I'm right. thinking of, yep. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. No, but that's and pretty cool, that's, that's not a tool that comes up very often. Well, you know, I think it should, because one of the big things right now, uh, in my opinion, now is not the time for super fancy automated systems. That's great if that's the direction your field wants to go. And if you've got the budget for it and you can make the case for it, that's great. But times are not amazing, obviously, for the airline industry in general. Yeah. Uh, nothing we've ever seen in uh, 40 years of business, actually. This uh, year is our 40th year in business. Nothing we've ever seen replace boots on the ground. And right now, our objective is to make sure there's budget for those boots to stay on the ground. Uh, you know, again, you can try and make sure, manage your deterrent budget, try and keep that pricing right. But even from a business perspective, if you lose the human knowledge uh, on how to manage your airfield because you can't keep them on staff, what's going to happen in two years from now? Right. So that all that knowledge is lost all the people you got to rehire them replace them retrain them it, it's not a good situation so we're really focusing on simple affordable tools that help the people who are working there every day get their job done easier um, and that's why we like whips too because it's really cheap uh you know one whip a nice good quality whip runs you about a hundred dollars uh it's not consumable. You know, you're not going through pyros. There's a, there's a cracker you got to replace every once in a while. And they're about 50 cents for, uh, for the cracker part of it. Uh, that's it. It's a simple, easy tool. Uh, and again, just one more tool in the toolbox. That's the way we look at things. Right. But especially, you know, if you start getting that stuff around there, you know, folks are going to want to use it. They're going to find an excuse to go use it kind of thing. So you might actually see an up, an up, uh, up, upscale, sorry on your uh control efforts just folks just want to go hey let's go fling the whip around for a little while you know a lot of people have been it's a it's a great tool you know you might not be entirely surprised by this uh the uh, uh female uh wildlife professionals tend to take to it pretty well uh <laughs> i'm not so 100 percent sure if they're using it uh always for wildlife or also kind of as a human resources uh motivational tool for their staff but uh Man, I got to shout out to the ladies out there. They're they especially been really jumping on the whips. And again, it's a, it's a great, simple, easy, cheap tool. Takes a little practice, but uh, to get to know it and get to use it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, excellent tool. Really should not be overlooked. No, definitely not. And like I said, that's that's not a tool that comes up very often. I think actually, this is actually the first conversation where it's ever come up. As a wildlife tool, I think, um, in, in my in my professional career, anyways. Um, so we were talking about, like, you know, times aren't that great, but I think we should still talk about some of the more, you know, technological, technological stuff. Um, so you mentioned a couple times about your radio cannons. Can you tell us a little bit about those? 
Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I think most people are going to be familiar with the basic propane cannon. Yeah. Uh, essentially, it is what it is. It's called called an air cannon sometimes. There's a there's all sorts of different combinations and setups you can use. The basic thing it does is it uses propane uh, ignited to make a loud echoing boom. Decibels about 130 to 150 decibels, pretty comparable to a shotgun blast right at the muzzle. It's pretty deep, so it does echo real nice. Uh, that's again kind of like pyro. That's your basic effect. Within that, of course, you've got uh, older generations of cannons, simple uh, mechanical ones. They don't use power at all. Uh, these are often used in an agricultural setting. Uh, there's also electronic uh, cannons that'll run just on a timer. So you program it when you want it to fire, what time periods you want it to fire between. These can work really good for regional airports. So you maybe only have scheduled flights X amount of time per day, and your wildlife management uh, staff consists of an airport manager or maybe the uh, the fireman on duty. It's uh, someone who's wearing quite a few hats. So yep. that can work really well. But what I think we're seeing a lot of, and I agree with this quite a bit, is that in an airport environment, uh, really you want to make sure you have that human interface between the deterrent, uh, between activating that deterrent. The scenario you don't want to have happen, of course, is an automatic deterrent going off when, uh, when it shouldn't. So you got birds maybe loafing, not an amazing spot. You're really not thrilled they're there, but they're a heck of a lot better on the ground than in the air at the wrong time. Uh, so again, radio remote activated cannons is probably a catch-all term. There's a few technology groups within that. Uh, again, having that human interface, not only is it safer, uh, you're also going to, uh, you're also gonna have a lot more effectiveness with it. And when you keep exposing animals to the same sound all the time, there's no mystery here. They figure it out pretty quick. This yeah. is not actually lethal. That's what we're trying to do, basically, is convince birds that being in here is a scary bad place. And if you stay, you're going to die. If you keep just banging away, they start right. to you're gonna... from that consequence to anything. So, yeah, remote activation reduces, uh, increases safety and reduces habituation. Yeah, so that's definitely that acclimation is definitely what you don't want, um, and that's what we've been trying to tell our listeners is, is uh, you know, you don't want like we were talking about with, with the pyros. One thing we didn't bring up, like you well, kind of with your five shot adapter, is like you don't want to launch just like a screamer, screamer, screamer. You know, mix in some bangers, mix in some silver comets, mix in some extenders. The same kind of thing here is, you know, if you're if you're constantly got, you know, you got this thing going off every 15 minutes, every half hour, every hour, whatever your timer is set to. Uh, you know, you're going to get acclimated versus if you can just control it when they're there, like that's going to help you a lot. And then also, um, like you mentioned, those inopportune times, uh, like you don't want to, uh, your cannon going off with an aircraft coming in because yeah. you just, yeah, you just made that situation a hundred times worse than it had to be. Um, I mean, a bird on the ground is, yeah, it's a bad thing, but it's, it's not the worst thing compared to birds in the air. Um, at least when he's on the ground, you know, he's predictable. He's not going anywhere until, the, you know, his wings open. So um, so that, it's just one more thing you got to kind of keep in your head um, when you're doing this. Uh, so going with the with the, uh, the radio ones. So are these, are the, the cannons themselves hardwired? Are they like a hardwired power, power source? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, again, cannons basically... Any kind of setup, 
we've done it. They come in a few different uh, forms, but we uh, actually, I got one going out uh, today that's going to be mounted on a truck, which is a pretty good use of them, in my opinion. So they'll have a push button activator uh, wired into the truck. The cannon's wired right into that cigarette lighter, and it's just part of the, uh, the bash truck. Uh, for hardware in, our cannons, and we've actually put a lot of effort into it, uh, we've substantially reduced the power consumption. So a simple 14 amp per hour battery with a, a six watt solar panel is all the power you'll need in 99, 95% of locations. You know, okay, you're talking about Alaska, maybe in the middle of winter, might right. need a little bit of a top up, sure, switch that battery out every two weeks in the, in the height of the, you know, in the worst of the season. Uh, but that's it, basically. We mostly rely on on solar power with the battery uh, to provide power for the cannons. Uh, of course, a radio control cannon, which you brought up, needs power to run. Uh, it needs to be on looking for that radio signal. So we don't ever really hardwire it into AC. Uh, it could be done. There's nothing to prevent it from being done. It's pretty easy. We've done it on the very rare occasion, mostly in agriculture and uh we have this one client, he's got a totally automated uh, fish pond network. He's got like huh. six ponds and he just sits on his computer all day and he's got a, uh, he controls AC power through remotely activated power bars. And so the feeders, cleaning, bird control, it's all done from his desktop in a, in a bedroom uh, 200 miles away. No, but, that's cool. Cause I was kind of thinking when the, in the fish pond setup, you know, you got, I mean, you're going to have a lot more of your hardware going in, you know, you got your aerators, got your feeders, you know, got all those other power sources versus, you know, a, uh, a more agricultural area. Um, airports might have the ability, you know, you got all your lights and, and your, uh, 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 I can't think of, um, instrument landings, ILS. Yeah, you got all your ILS. I always say ILS, but that's something else, I think. No, yeah, no, I yeah, ILS, ILS instrument ILS. landing system for the aircraft. Um, and then two for these radios. Uh, what kind of range do the radios themselves have? Yeah, the big factor, and this is an easy area for confusion, the big factor on radio controls the technology is line of sight. It's not so much about range. Uh, we've tested range up to three miles away. Uh, that was on ice on a, you know, minus, uh, well, I got to think in Fahrenheit for you folks, minus 20 degree days, so super cold, clear, on a big long lake, no interruptions at all. We got three miles of range out of it. The big determinant is line of sight. Radio does not bounce around objects super well. So essentially with ours, we run on a 900 megahertz frequency. If you can see it, you should be able to fire it. Now airports are noisy environments. There's a lot of radio frequencies bouncing around. There's lots of metal, uh, which acts as giant interfering antennas. So it's something to be aware of. Uh, one of the things I'll get back to in a second, one of the things I did want to mention about cannons, because you mentioned about being limited by hardwire, is one area I've been uh, mentioning to folks a lot more recently is, again, it's important to, uh, when you're doing wildlife management, you're there to reduce the risk. You're not there to introduce new risks to aircraft. Right. Runway incursions, you gotta get to a certain area, possibly fast, the only way to go through it is maybe through an active runway. Of course, you gotta wait for tower and all that kind of stuff. If you can avoid it, I think everyone agrees, it's better not to drive your vehicle across the runway. Right. Um, so where I think cannons should be used more is these little trouble spots and hot zones you'll see around an airfield that I, that are just not easy to get to. So you have that cannon sitting there stationary, ready to go. You're not necessarily relying on it as your main bird control system. You still got people wanting around. When you see that area, you just can't get to it. 
perfect time for a remote control canner. But again, so range. So the final thing, a little plug for us is we've got our new uh, system in testing. By the way, listeners, uh, we have a few more models out we would like to get for free. Just drop us a line. Uh, we have an app control cannon. So we have an Android app. We've just finished our, uh, our shop testing on it. Uh, on your cell phone, you can control our cannons uh, anywhere in the world. So you just have to, the Canon needs connection to the cellular network and you need to have connection to the cellular network and that's it. Basically you get on your uh, app, you'll have a, a map with the airfield on it. Uh, the cannons are all fitted. Speaking of which our background a little bit with uh, GPS we playing around with. We've got GPS receivers on the Canon. So that app will, uh, will know where that Canon is precisely. You don't even have to program it or move it around. Wherever you set the Canon, uh, the app's going to know exactly where it is. And you'll have a map, you'll have the Canon on it, you'll have an active status on the Canon, you'll have a uh, battery life, you'll have any uh, error reports. It knows if it's tried to fire and there wasn't a detonation, it'll send you an alert. Um, you'll have approximate time life expectancy left in the propane tank. So we're getting a little fancier with that, but uh, still, uh, we're, we're not quite there to offer commercially yet. Like I said, we're looking for testers, so drop us a line. The pricing is going to be more or less in line with the radio cannon. No, that's a very, that's a, that's a pretty cool advancement right there. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Because I'm thinking, like, this sounds like it'd be a good fit for, you know, smaller GA-style airports, you know, maybe one one runway or maybe two shorties or um but something like this you know if you have a limited staff you know if somebody's you know in maybe an operation center overlooking the airfield they can look down and say hey there's birds down at we'll call the alpha one intersection uh with yeah. the runway you know they can look around nope aircraft car aren't coming we gotta get those birds out of there they can reach over hit the button and that should be in range uh it sounds like um because i mean they're gonna be well within three miles of I mean, yeah so to me, that that, fit, that feels like it's going to be a really cool fit for. I mean, larger airports could get some really cool information or uh, use out of it as well. But I can really see some of these, you know, those smaller airports getting a really good use out of out of this product. Yeah, I would say for the radio cannons, uh, they're very like you say they are really popular with uh, with uh, either regional or even um, non-commercial airports um, or non at least non-scheduled flight airports. Uh, yeah, they're super popular. But just to be clear, the three-mile max range, again, that's max. It varies a little bit. Well, can vary a lot, especially if you've got a building in the way of the cannon. Right. Um, that's for radio control. Our new app control cannon, as long as the cannon is in cellular reception anywhere in the world, and as long as you have cellular reception anywhere in the world, that's it. It works through the internet. So uh, it works through GSM data. So there is no range um requirements at all for the new app control cannon that's that's pretty awesome um so yeah that's i'm, I'm glad you made that that uh that uh that break off there because yeah that is the three miles it was only for radio control um but and I again, think up to three miles but up, up to three to... miles yeah with <laughs> ideal conditions oh yeah that's anybody's, anybody's played with walkie talkies to see what the rating the rating is is usually a lot shorter than that so yeah but again, same thing. It's about line of sight. It's not yep. just about distance. That's really important. The other thing you'll see with radio control is that sometimes a high humidity day is real bad. On the other hand, uh, you got a day with like low cloud cover. 
the signal actually bounces up and down on those clouds and you can get phenomenal range. Uh, but one final thing I should add to the other area where you're going to see a lot of remote detonation need is at, uh, is at uh, military installations. They tend to have a little different need. What you see a lot with them is with typically a little less movements than a general aviation environment. Uh, they'll use cannons to clear a whole runway zone before they have something happening. So they'll have a whole series of cannons, and that's what ours is designed for too. The only final plug I have on cannons is uh, we have one more new product, uh, and anyone who subscribes to our newsletter, which you can do just on our website, we'll see one going around shortly. It's the Margo Trident. I gotta say, I'm pretty proud of the name. Uh, that was uh, that was my uh, my contribution to the project, and probably my only real meaningful one. But I'll certainly take the credit. And so this is kind of your large scale, typically military, but large airports as well. It's a uh, it's a unit mounted on a pallet, and it's actually got three cannons on it. Uh, in this one, you'd almost always use a app control. They could be fitted with radio, but it's really designed for use on the app. And this 360 degree coverage, huge impact with all three cannons detonating at once. And uh, that uh, paired with our new app, I think is gonna be a real deadly combination. Yeah, it sounds like it would be. Um, so one last thing I had before we move on from cannons is you mentioned that the app is Android. Is there any plans coming out for an iOS? Yeah, you know what? I notice uh, I notice a few more people than I anticipated are still on uh, iOS. It's something we're considering. Uh, the Android environment is a lot more friendly for what we were trying to do with it, and was a natural first step as a development. Uh, we'll keep on our eye on it, and we'll certainly be looking at it in the future. Right now, our main goal is just dialing down exactly how people want to use the app, really making it as easy as possible for to use. And once that's nice and stable, we'll move on. Now, keep in mind, if you buy a new Margaret Trident for me, the phone's free. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's cool. Or tablet, um, probably. I'm, you know, I'm not that generous, but. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, yeah, so let's move on from the cannons. I want to stay on more of the active front for now. We're kind of, yeah. kind of just kind of going through your, your listing, what you guys have to offer. Um, but I want to stay active, and let's talk about, I see you have a laser that's available. Yeah, that's right. So lasers are something I think a lot of people have seen a little, uh, a lot of noise uh, about in recent years. It's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, and the reason is, if you look around at general laser regulations, the number one thing uh, you'll see on all transportation boards is not for use near aircraft at all. Yep. You know. Again, going back to our activities in bird control is meant to make aviation safer. It's not to introduce new hazards. So with lasers, we've seen fairly good results, certainly among some species are particularly sensitive to it. Uh, Canada geese really tend to respond fairly negatively to lasers. It's nice. It's a silent tool. Um, our focus on a couple of lasers is really, especially in the aviation environment, one more tool in your toolbox. That's it. This is not something that's going to replace pyrotechnics. It's not going to be something to replace your field crew. It is one extra tool. Yeah. Uh, we're insistent on keeping the power low on lasers. The reason is, is that you'll see um, marketing, perhaps some people may have come across it for so-called aviation lasers. Uh, 
They're typically super high powered or bird scare lasers. They're typically super powerful. Yep. 100 milliwatt to 500 milliwatts often. Uh, hopefully, people selling them will tell you the milliwatt rating. It's really important. The stats vary a little bit, uh, quite a bit, depending on the uh, beam divergence, the whole pile of technical uh, terms. But the important thing to rem remember is lasers 100 milliwatts or higher can cause flash blindness up to a mile away. That's pretty scary. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot farther than you need. Well, one, it's way farther than you need. And two, uh, you know, again, even if you're not aiming the laser anywhere near a plane, there's reflective signs, metal, water. There's so many chances for refraction and reflection. Uh, they can put that laser any any direction. And again, when you're using something really powerful, you could be interfering with pilots really easily. So we focus on five milliwatt lasers. Uh, these are basically the max uh, range that's considered safe uh, for consumer uses. Even though we're industrial, we stick with that. Uh, again, trying to avoid hazards. Uh, about 20 feet away or so, there's no risk of flash blindness. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on the numbers on that. We use a wide beam divergence. We want to have a wide beam. Uh, now, that means, though, it's not going to be a tool to be used in broad daylight. There's just simply not enough power to have a massive effect, you know, noon your bright uh bright sunny arizona you yeah. know noon it's not going to be the tool for that the other thing to keep in mind with lasers is there's nothing particularly special about bird control lasers they're green again anecdotally and now there's some more academic evidence we really are focusing everyone's zeroing in on that green color for wildlife control tools just tends to work um it's a green laser what you want to look for in a, in a bird control laser, again, from my perspective, is relatively low power. Uh, they're not expensive tools. Uh, you know, you go to a dollar store and, you know, a laser costs $5 or less. And then how do we get to a bird control laser for several thousand dollars? Right. You know, I'll let your viewers do the math on that. Um, there's a few... Listeners, I guess, uh, radio, which is good. I've got a voice for radio um, and a face for it, too. Um, <clears throat> pardon me there. Uh, so, yeah, what you want to look for is a wide beam divergence, the color green. That's really it. So our lasers, they run about $80. Uh, again, just a really simple, easy tool. One more option for you. No, that sounds really awesome. Um, so... If you don't mind, let's take a break right now, uh, and we'll come back in a couple of minutes, and we'll keep on going with this. Sounds great. Look forward to it. I'm going to grab myself a glass of water. So, all right. Um, everybody's got to drink. You know, I probably uh, should put it out there. I am drinking iced tea. Not this isn't alcoholic adult beverage. That comes later. This um, is vodka. So there you go. There you go. Hey, at least somebody's doing it. No, uh, so we we. The whole first, um, we'll call it the first half of this, we've, we've talked about the more um, assertive side, uh, the active side of wildlife mitigation that um, you guys do. So I want to go more passive now. You know, we're kind of on the downhill side. Um, I'm looking at the, your website still, and under the tab of visual scare products, you guys got some really cool items. Um, the one, I mean, the first one on the list, and the one that makes me kind of struggle the most because it's, it's something unique, is the dead magpie. And I know you guys have some others, but... Um, 
Yeah, let's dive into the passive side a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll maybe preface that as well. That, I, And I kind of touched on this again. What we're really trying to do is a systems-based, scalable approach to kind of throw out the buzzwords there. And so what that means is taking bits and pieces of active deterrence. Again, there you're kind of your big movers, backing it up with passives. Uh, the passives do a couple things. One, uh, you know, they're, they're a lot cheaper than a truck moving around with, uh, with someone in it. And so, again, trying to create some effect and some kind of base level deterrence um, so you can add on to that as needed. Uh, with the passives, like you said, visual, uh, so visual decoys is really two visual decoys for our purposes, which are predator, uh, effigies, uh, of one kind or another, or, uh, or dead effigies of, uh, one kind or another. Of course, the dead effigies, they're really for social birds. Uh, you know, some, again, European starlings are probably not going to care. So we don't care a European starling dead effigy, uh, but, We've got a seagull, uh, a crow, a uh, magpie, and and uh, a pigeon as well. Um, pigeons are, of course, an extremely hard animal to get to do anything you want it to. Um, but yeah, again, you're trying to do everything you can to create the illusion, if you will, of lethal consequences, even if you're not using non-lethal tools. You really want to get the birds thinking there's consequences to this guy firing pyro at me or cracking the whip or, you know, when that truck shows up, this is a bad thing. We want to go. Yeah. So again, with the death, dead effigies, um, you can, uh, you can have them hung up strategically, lead them around a little bit. You're going to get a lot less trouble than the real thing. That's for sure. If, uh, if anyone, uh, anyone sees it, so that's one benefit. Um, and the other thing people actually do, and it works pretty good, is uh, it's more in a landfill environment where you're really mobbed by the animal. You can have someone throwing out those dead effigies while you're firing pyro. And yep. they're not necessarily going to know that's a dead effigy. They just see that doesn't look good. It's one more reason not to be there. Uh, same thing with the predators. Really, again, trying to create kind of a scary, bad environment they don't want to be in. Uh, with the predator effigies, of course, looks like there might be a predator hunting. With predators, you got to move around the decoys pretty often. Uh, and that's true for paint cannons as well. Any kind of passive deterrent, you can't just leave it lying there. you still got to be someone involved in it. Uh, keep in mind, in an airfield environment, uh, predator effigies can work really well when you're very certain of the airport ecology. Uh, of course, you know, a peregrine falcon, maybe a male's cruising around. I think that's a pretty lady, in fact. So do want to be a little careful with the uh, predator effigies in the airport environment. Know what species are at risk. What are your species of concern? Uh, and making sure you're not creating a nice environment by changing the ecology. Just kind of like, you know, your grass management techniques, right? What yep. works and reduces one hazard can increase another hazard. Uh, Again, we're just trying to have the maximum amount of effects we can. One thing I think I've experienced with birds in general, kind of a catch-all term for birds, my magic number is not is three, and it's not like the quantity of deterrence, it's the, uh, it's the amount of different deterrence. So I really like to see a passive visual deterrent in effect when I'm trying to create kind of a system, a passive audio effect, and of course, your active deterrence. And what makes up each of those three components can be one thing, it can be several things, but it's really nice to have all three of those working together. 
Yeah, and that's a that's a very good way to think about it. You know, you have those three working in conjunction. I mean, that's really gonna it's really gonna update upgrade your your wildlife management. Um, cause I mean, you guys also I'm just keep looking at your your items here. You guys have some of the more generic stuff, like you got your flash tape, mm-hmm. um, which I think that's a pretty common tool. Um, you got your kites. Uh, you even got daddy long legs on here for you know for putting on like perching structures and whatnot. Um, yeah. Oh, they're gonna say something. Yeah, so you got the daddy long legs. And you got you know what I'm actually a fan of the the scare eye balloons. I think in in um, short term use. Uh, again, it's one of those things that they get acclimated to very quickly, but it's something that as long as it pops up and it's gone, you know, it can, it can have some, uh, some effect. Um, I, I like that, you know, I like that a lot better than I like the, the plastic owls, um, yeah. personally. And, and again, the whole thing with a lot of these ones, especially the generic kind of more, you know, commonly seen visual, uh, deterrents in particular they're very affordable. You get really good bang for your buck. Would I rely on flash tape, for example, to keep birds away? No, but do I got a strategic area where I've got a little nice roost for one species or the other? I'd rather them not be there clearly. Can some flash tape when combined with other deterrents just be that little extra push that keeps them away? Um, You know, now again, Airport environments are a little different. I think it kind of goes back to, as well, you do see a lot of people using kind of sirens and trying to chase birds out that way. Airport environments are not, you know, a nice little uh, blueberry field in the countryside. They're noisy. uh, They've got sirens and flashing lights going on all around them. So keep that in mind for what it's worth. flash tapes and, and and that's I think why you probably see a little better effect with a scare eye balloon in an airfield environment because it's different than what's in that environment natural or you know normally yeah. um, you know you got to remember that this is if a bird's there really think they're pretty close to jet engines how much is uh you know in baggage trucks with flashing lights going on how much is that really going to affect them um you need everything again working in concert but you need to introduce foreign scary things to that environment all for sure because i mean uh even the stuff that you know it's it's not even that common i mean it's common but it's uh not as predictable as like you hear like um like i've watched pigeons around terminals with uh the jet bridges go back and forth and you know as soon as you move that jet bridge you got that very loud obnoxious alarm comes up they don't budge they don't they're they're used it's it's not how immediate the sound is they're just used to the sound they know it's coming sooner or later so having something that stands out from that, like have like that scare eye or, uh, yeah. but that's, you know, in that, in that regard, um, you know, uh, I think lethal reinforcement comes in heavily, uh, in that, especially around a terminal, um, you know, you do a lot of trapping and whatnot. Um, sure. But, uh, so I'm trying to think, I think we've just, well, yeah, maybe one really quick tool. Um, that again, used strategically, I really uh, uh, like, which is distress cry, uh, distress cry generators. Uh, so these are basically speaker units. Uh, uh, stay tuned, by the way, newsletter again, there'll be some news on our site in a month or two on that. I won't spoil the surprise entirely, but it'll be about distress calls. Um, they're, they're a really interesting tool because what you often see 
is uh, when you first introduced the stress credit generator, I think you've probably seen them before, uh, oh, Jesse. Yeah, yeah yep. exactly. Uh, again, on the deterrent spectrum, a little less dramatic than a banger. It kind of goes into your passive audio assisting category as opposed to your kind of workhorse items. What you see can see happen with them is uh, especially with social birds. When you first set out a distress cry, uh, you'll see this a lot with corvids. They'll go and check it out. They want to see what's going on. Is uh, you know, is one of my buddies uh, getting nailed by a, by a hawk, right? And so they'll go and see what's going on. And what freaks them out is they don't see anything. So what's what's causing them danger? Is the predator is there a predator still around that's that's hunting? Yep. Now, when you, if you really get your timing right and use it strategically, that's the time to play a little bit of games. So you introduce a distress call. You stay a little in the background, get them kind of interested in swarming that generator, and then go all out on pyrotechnics on them. You know, really go to town. Uh, this works great, again, for smart social birds. Uh, again, crows, why, one of the reasons this is a tried and true method with crows. Call them in, get them agitated with some distress calls, and then just, just go all out, full aggression with them. And... Uh, Boom, you're probably going to see pretty dramatic results. And then really you go down to that maintenance level and when you see a scout bird, beyond that scout bird. Interestingly enough, I don't think gulls in general are given enough credit for their intelligence. And, uh, I mean, they they use scout birds too a lot of times. Really? So, uh, again, cool use of distress calls used strategically can be really, uh, really useful. Um, that's That's kind of my last kind of deterrent tool on the hit list, I would say. Yeah, um, actually, I had that on the list here, and I totally uh, skipped over it like three times. But um, so the unchild of a uh, stepchild of deterrence, right? Because it's, it's it's one that I've used. Um, it's one I don't use as often anymore. But uh, no, it's definitely it, it when it's effective, it's very effective. Now, again, um, keep in mind because an airport environment is different than an agricultural setting. Where we're in an agricultural setting, all you want to do is keep your um, <clears throat> problem species away yep you don't want to be attracting other things so uh foxes would be a little interest in distress calls uh i've actually used distress calls basically to get free falconry service from wild falcons uh again in an agricultural setting i've a little bit of falconry call and a falcon kind i've seen falcons you know again anecdotally uh come and hang out in that area a little more often than i would expect them to Right. Um, yeah, because I'm thinking like a lot of the calls you hear, um, are, a lot of them are programmed like American kestrels. Uh, and you'll, you'll start because they're because you'll see kestrels kind of more chummy with each other, more so than you will the other falcons, like your peregrines and jeers and yeah. merlins and, and etc. Um, so we've mentioned you've mentioned the website a couple of times. What uh, is your website address? Probably should put that out there for the viewers. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's uh, margosupplies.com. M-A-R-G-O-S-U-P-P-L-I-E-S.com. You can see uh, all our products there. Uh, again, we've got a little newsletter subscription there. Uh, we promise we won't pound your inbox, but when we got something cool to announce, uh, you'll be the first to know about it. Uh, other than that, of course, you can always reach us by phone. Uh, just give us a call at, uh, well, this is going to be the test for the memory banks, 1-888-652-1199. <laughs> You say that one more time. I think that I think the the eight the eight hundred or something chipped out. Yeah, it's one eight 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 
652-1199. Okay. And then you guys, because um, obviously um, you're in Canada right now, but you do have a warehouse here in, in Prescott, Prescott Valley, Arizona. You said that's a yeah. new warehouse? Yeah, that's right. Um, so people familiar with the company, uh, we've been uh, active both in Canada and the U.S. for basically our whole existence. Uh, myself, I'm kind of reflective of the company. I'm half Canadian, half American. Uh, well, technically all American, half Canadian, half uh, United States of America. Uh, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm currently in Canada right now, but yeah, we've got an air, uh, uh, warehouse. It's just up the road from you, a little bit higher in the hills in Prescott Valley, shipping out of there every day. Uh, we've been out of there now about just over a year. It's working really well, and people are getting our products uh, real fast. So uh, even even with coronavirus, we're shipping fast. Uh, like I said, give us a call. If you give us a call by 1 o'clock, we might be able to get it out that day before the truck shows up, but definitely the day after. Right. And just for reference, that's 1 o'clock Arizona time. So anybody's here in that in New that's York, right. depending on if it's winter or summer, I probably shouldn't dive into all that, that stuff. But it's either three hours behind or two hours behind. Yeah, I mean, you know, have you ever been to Page, Arizona? Not yet, not not the Page. I, I went there once, and because uh, it's right at the the three corners, I guess area. Um, the four corners, yeah. Four corners, right? Even worse. Uh, I I woke up at like I thought seven o'clock to go on this tour of a canyon, which was at eight. And then I went and got breakfast, and it was 10 a.m. somehow there. And then I drove another five minutes back to the tour group, and they told me I was still an hour early. Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> you got to do the daylight savings time. Uh, so, you know, or the non, I guess, non daylight savings time. And Yeah, we're non here. Yeah, we don't do yeah. it at all. Um, yeah, it's pretty fun. Like if you're driving to Arizona this time of year, so coming from the East Coast, you'll, the, the route that I've always taken is you'll you change the, you change time when you cross from Indiana in Illinois, then you cross you change it again when you cross into New Mexico, and then when you leave New Mexico, you change yeah. it again. So that's, that's like that's the, the southernmost part of uh, mountain time is New Mexico that's until okay. winter time, and then Arizona is part of it. But right now we're part of Pacific. It's yep. it gets funky. It but, does. <laughs> yeah. Summer's Pacific time, winter's mountain time, but. But in any case, I work on Mountain Time. Uh, so anyway, all good though. Our hours are uh, 8 a.m. to 4:30 Mountain Time for answering the phones. 8 to 4:30. Okay. Um. So if you don't have anything extra, Jared, I think I think I'm about good. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for hosting me, Jesse. Really appreciate it. Uh, good to speak to you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to more podcasts as well. Oh, yeah, we'll get some more in down the line. Um, we'll get some more going. And then, uh, yeah, if you guys get some new products, I'd love to do some episodes on that. You know, maybe highlighting some new stuff you got coming out. and But actually, you know, being able to talk about it kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I didn't bring any props. I thought I thought we were uh, we were doing all audio for this one. So I've got my uh, coronavirus haircut right now. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, I would have had props uh, props uh, ready, but no worries there. That's uh, We'll just have to do a follow-up. Just got to do another one. Yeah, so, again, if, if anybody want, was interested in this and what and what Margo has for sale, I mean, definitely go to margosupplies.com. Uh, they got a really really easy to navigate, really cool website. Um, I still get a kick of all the bear stuff. That's not something that I run across a lot in, in this line. So, 
Um, that's, that's definitely cool. Just to see what the, those products are, just seeing what's on the market is, 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 a, is a treat into itself. But um, all right, Jared, that's all I got for you. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for hosting again, Jesse. All right, I'll talk to you later. Yep, bye now. Bye. There you have it, folks. Uh, that's today's episode. Well, let's say thank you again to Jared uh, and Margo Supplies. Again, we're going to have a link for Margo Supplies down below. Go give them a checkout and see if uh, they got anything that you might be interested in. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for you today. Make sure you hit that like, share, or subscribe button, uh, depending on your platform. And again, uh, thank you for sticking around, and we'll catch you next time.